And that cough is the reason why, well, one of the many myriads of reasons why we are not having a normal episode today. But Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Becca, I'm sitting on the bed where Becca is laying. She's on her fourth day of illness. Um, And literally to quote, my eyeballs hurt moving about in my head. Is this the truth? Yeah, yeah, that, that is the case, yeah. Which sounds absolutely awful and no doubt terrifying. It's kind of paranormal, really. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad it's entertaining for you. It is. It is. It very much is. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'd wanted to have... Today I promised everyone, and I'm going to let you all down on the promise. I wanted to have my dad telling a ghost story. Um, but Christmas was a bit of a weird one. And we didn't really have time to get the recorder out. There was no apropos time. I don't think your dad wants to tell a ghost story, you know, I think you need to leave him be. No, he does. He wants to tell one about... Well, he doesn't want to, but he said he'll tell one about using a Ouija board. Um, And then we've had illness and we've had all this other carry-on sort of stuff. And it's just simply not been possible, I'm afraid. Um, But we we didn't want to leave you empty-handed, and especially without saying Happy New Year. Because it is indeed... Today is Monday when you're hearing this, and it is indeed New Year. So Happy New Year! Happy New Year! She doesn't sound sick, does she? Sounds like somebody just wants to be brought food, I think, whilst having a nap. I'm joking. She is sick. She's very sick. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to play a Patreon episode. Uh, I know, but at the same time, it's New Year's Day. I'm sure you're either all hungover. We'll be hungover, won't we? Yeah, with a bit of luck. Yeah, with a bit of luck, if you're not still ill. Um, Don't even think like that. I know, yeah. And, uh Yeah. I'm sure that you've got plenty to be doing and getting about with yourself. So there's just some some background distractions for you will be this upcoming Patreon episode. And um, in the meantime, we wish you the very best for 2024. Don't we back off? We do. Hooray. Happy 24. Happy 24. K2, 2K24. Okay then, guys. Enjoy whatever is about to come into your ear holes. Live. From Liverpool, we need to talk about ghosts. Patreon Podcast. With Kevin Eustace. It's time for a Patreon special. It's not a special, it's Paranormal Patreon. And with Becca. Hello. You took your time in introducing yourself. You threw me with the special, I was like, what's this? I know, yeah. Now, you know what, I feel like my voice is going, I'm very anxious about it because I've got a week's worth of mega recording coming up. Um... Have you thought of anything to soothe? I've literally packed some hall soothers from the drawer. Yeah, Honey's good for your throat. I've got honey in this cup of mushroom coffee. Good. So. Um, No loud singing. Well, you know what I think it might be? I've changed the vape juice that I use. So I bought some from Heron, didn't I? For a pound. As opposed to the ones I normally buy from Home and Bargain for a pound. Mm. But. I think it might be that. I think that might be harsh and like drying on the throat. Right. Have um, you got any of the old stuff? No, but I'm going to buy some today. Yeah. And and stop using the other stuff. Anyway, um, how have you been? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just before we get paranormal, I've just I've just put it onto Facebook, but I've just remembered um, a very, you know, as soon as you get old, that you think that was a cool memory. That's like actually like a very good anecdote. Right. I've got a very good anecdote. Okay. Did I ever tell you that when I was 17, I auditioned to be the lead singer of the Pete Best band? Um, not that I recall. Right, well, Pete Best. Do you know who Pete Best is? 
Name rings a bell, yeah. Pete Best was the first drummer in the Beatles. Yes. And then he was sacked and replaced by Ringo. Right. But obviously he's part of Beatles law Mm because he was the one who was in Hamburg with them and stuff and all that carry on. Officially one of the boys in the band. Yeah, literally one of the founders. And um, so anyway, and he's done well from it, obviously. But when the Beatles, one of the clubs the Beatles used to play was a place called the Casbah Club. Right. And that was in his house because he was quite well off, or his family were. He had a big house in West Derby. And he had a bar and, in his house. Well, in his basement, his mum ran this club called the Casbah Club. Okay. And that's where Can the Beatles... Can you imagine anything worse in your house? No. But, I mean, if your mum's running it, what are you going to do? <laughs> and the Beatles used to perform there, um, like in practice and stuff. Anyway, I enter this ad in the Liverpool Echo. Now, this is when I'm 17. Mobile phones are just coming out. The internet doesn't exist. Well, it exists, but, you know, no one has it. Um and picture it heighten exactly <laughs> 1992 exactly yeah well it was, what was it would have been 95 maybe 96 anyway <clears throat> so I answer the side in the Liverpool Echo ring the number and I'm given a date and a time to go and audition and it's at was it as weird as you suggested then what do you mean I was given a date and a time well yeah well, that's not weird, is it? If you ring it the... no, anyway, so the audition takes place in the old Casbah Club. Now, I think now it's like a tourist attraction. Right. But then he was just living in the house. Everything was overgrown. And the basement, the old Casbah Club, was kind of just a basement. It was a bit derelict. Anyway, as I go down the stairs, someone's coming up fuming. And they go, don't bother. He's giving it to his cousin. Because they were going to go on a world tour, right. was the point. Um, and I was like, oh, nice one. And I walked in anyway, and there's no one in this basement or the Casbah Club except for Pete Best and someone else. Yeah. And they're sat playing chess, smoking a spliff. And I just stood there, like the door had closed, and I'm stood there, and I'm like waiting to be acknowledged. Did you not and say then, hi? Well, then I went, hiya, not. Yeah, then I'm like, hello. And then his mate nods at me. To, like at Pete Best and then at me and Pete Best goes he points at a stereo and goes choose a song and, and sing it and goes back to his chess game so I went over now this is how long ago it was it was a hi-fi cassette system right right and there was a book a handwritten book with a list of Beatles songs on it on one side hmm. and on the next side it had the track counter number for that song and written at the top taped over it said um, rewind tape to start and then fo- reset the counter and forward to the relevant part. Mm. So it was like, you know, I chose I'm Down by the Beatles. Right. And that was like, say, 349 on the counter. So you had to yeah. rewind the tape, then reset the counter to zero, and then forward to 349. Yeah, starting a tape at the beginning of a song was an absolute bugger, wasn't it? Yeah, there's yeah, no exactly, way of doing yeah. it. Like, there's yeah. no way of doing it. So that's why we all love CDs when it came, when we came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you yeah. can just skip ahead to the beginning of a song. This is amazing. Yeah. So anyway, I do that, and I say, do you want, "Is there a microphone?" No answer. Okay, they're still playing chess, stoned. So and then I'm like, "Where do you want me to stand?" No answer. <laughs> so then, the fella nods again. So Pete Best turns around, like frustrated now, mm. and goes, "Just sing from there." So now I'm 17, so I'm shitting myself. It's Pete Best. Press play on the tape. Murder, I'm down. Like, absolutely butchery. Right. 
um, stop the tape, wait, nothing. And then I go, I'm done. And he goes, without turning around, okay, thanks, bye. Like, you know, like, like when we've had a cleaner round before we've had people round, <laughs> yeah. we, like they've said, we're done. And we go, okay, thanks, bye. One of them. Right. Um, yeah. And that was it. That sounds awful. It was awful. But at the same time, it was kind of a cool experience, really, you know. Because if I was successful, not that I would have been at 17, because I looked 17. <laughs> and they, he was like a 65-year-old man or something. But I would be within the Beatles family tree or the Rock family tree, you know, like as in yeah. when you see that, which would have been cool. But yeah. anyway, it didn't happen. Good anecdote, then. Mm-hmm. Not paranormal. Not paranormal, no. And it turns with the Cats Bar Club. I've no idea if it is. Anyway, what we're going to look at today is Supernatural England. Have you got anything spooky that's happened of late before I crack on? No, no, I do not. No, you do not? No. Okay, then we will crack on. Supernatural England, it's a book that you bought me from London when we went down, when we went down to London recently. Um, it's by a lady called, I imagine a lady, called Betty Puttock. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds like an, a paranormal author's name, doesn't it? Yes. Betty is Puttock. one of those books when we go to these fam- world-famous paranormal bookshops and I'm like, what are you going to get? And you're like, oh, nothing. And I'm like, no, we are not even here yeah, empty-handed. Yeah, yeah. You are going to choose a book. Yeah, I literally say, tomorrow, can we go around all the occult stores? And you go, yeah, yeah. And then I always leave empty-handed. Yeah, and we go and we spend hours there and I'm like, just and you end up buying kicking my heels and that, like, waiting. <laughs> and the end, you're like, yeah, no, I'm all right. I'm like, what do you mean you're all right? There's hundreds of books here. Choose one. I'm buying you a book, so help me God. So I thought what we do is um, we just, as we intend to do on this show, is we would go through... It is actually... It does it by place as well. So do you want to pick a place in England? You can have Dorset, Durham, Essex, Gloucestershire. Can I have, Is there anything in Glastonbury? Um, where about in England is Glastonbury? Oh, God. This is embarrassing. No, Somerset, is it? South. I think it's Somerset. Yeah, Somerset sounds about right. It's Somerset, oh, Somerset. country, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's Somerset. I mean... the. There's one called things that go bump in the night, but be one. Oh, well, oh, have you spilled your coffee? No, I've just dropped a book onto a load of cups. Very close. Turning into an amazing episode, this already. <laughs> um, no, it's but there is one, but it was about nine pages long, okay. and I don't think you'd like that. No, we won't do um, But here we go. This one's just two pages long. Okay. But it's from Staffordshire. Okay. And it's called Driven from His Home. Ooh. Do you want me to tell it, or do you want to tell it? I'll tell it. Okay. Then I shall hand you Betty Puttock's book. Driven from his home. The strange phenomena which were experienced by Mr Wood and his cousin in a cottage in Longnor hit the national press. They also succeeded in driving Mr Wood from his home. Oh. Mr Wood had returned to the cottage after a stay in hospital, during which his elderly mother had died. Oh. Ah, so he was in hospital... And his mum died while he was in hospital. Yeah, that does sound like it, yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Talk about a run of luck. In the early hours of 15th January 1960, he woke with the feeling that his own hand was being held by another, which was icy and invisible. He told himself that he was being silly and that his imagination was playing tricks on him. Eventually, he went back to sleep. Over the next few nights, his sleep was disturbed by peculiar metallic noises which he described as being like the sound of the handle of an iron bucket. Then one night, a tremendous crash woke him. A bit like you dropping that book. Yeah. Convinced that a ceiling had collapsed in another bedroom, 
Mr Wood went to investigate, but could not find the cause. The next morning he checked again, but all the rooms looked perfectly normal. You and sound like your voice is going. Do I? My, I it, think it's a touch of fever. Uh, I hope it is just that. You want to take one of those fever tablets, you know? Yeah, maybe. It's not do. worth risking it with your vote. You may as well. Oh, fucking right, it's not. You, you are a podcaster. So I know, yeah. To... It's like being a runner for a living. Well, just take one, and if it doesn't, if you take them over a couple of days, if it doesn't do anything, you can stop. But there's no harm in taking it in the meantime, is there? It's just like an antihistamine. Yeah, I suppose. May as well. That's a good point, yeah. Okay, anyway, back to this poor, unfortunate bloke. All the rooms look perfectly normal. An alarmed Mr. Wood decided to spend a few days with friends in Leek. How funny is it? We've got a place called Leek. Yeah. I know. They tried to convince him that the strange events were all in his imagination. When he returned to his cottage in Longnor, things appeared to have quietened down, until a few weeks later when he heard what sounded like objects bumping on the stairs. When he checked, he found that a number of empty cartons had indeed been thrown down the stairs. His worst fright occurred one night when he saw the latch of his bedroom door lift. Now that's already petrifying. Yeah, that's terrifying. A white-haired old lady wearing a black cape passed through the room and vanished through the wardrobe. No. Mr. Wood was terrified and slept with the light on after this event. Unsurprised. He made inquiries of his friends and relations, and his cousin, Mrs. Brittlebank, told him of her own experiences in the cottage while he was in hospital. These are all very English names. They are probably, yeah, Brittlebank, yeah. <laughs> Lady Brittlebank will be with you shortly, sir. Yeah, very much so, yeah. She had been staying there to look after her 80-year-old aunt, Mr Wood's mother, during the final weeks of her life. She recalled one night when she had seen strange flickering lights which seemed to appear in one corner of the room, then dart about the room, finally coming to hover over the sleeping Mrs Wood. Oh, over his mum. Yeah. I was going to say, how did she know? Yeah, yeah. On another occasion, she had seen the bedroom door latch lift and two figures enter the room, then disappear. Both of these phenomena had occurred shortly before Mrs. Wood's death. Oh, psychopomps maybe? He also discovered that the previous owner of the cottage had experienced ghostly happenings, including one evening when a rug his wife was pegging was torn violently from her lap and hurled into the corner of the room. Their pet cat had fled in terror seconds before the event took place. That's interesting, that the cat fled just before the thing. Before it happened, yeah. Yeah. I do find that really interesting. Yeah. Also, I don't know what pegging is. I assume pegging it out to dry, but not if it's on a lap. Yeah, if it's on a lap, I don't know, maybe some kind of knitting? Yeah, maybe. maybe. Mr Wood called in the services of a medium who told him that there was a supernatural presence in the building which had some connection with an old man and a dog. She also thought that there could be a body buried under the cottage. Thought. <laughs> hell could. A, hell thought and to... could are very heavy words <laughs> I there. I know, hell of a thing to break to him. Events began to get more frequent and more disturbing. Lights were switched on and off, heavy footsteps were heard, and the sound of a growling dog coming from the fireplace. Pots and pans seemed to be thrown about, there were sudden drops in temperature, and curtains were ripped down. Mrs Brittlebank even had a cardigan torn from her shoulders. Fucking hell. Well, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That. The most terrifying event of all took place when Mr Wood was attempting to relay a flagstone in the floor. He had prized the flag up and had begun to shovel soil from beneath it when Mrs Brittlebank saw a horrific shape emerge from the ground, then leap away and disappear. It, well, se- it seemed to be a large dog. Come oh, I thought Mrs Brittlebank leaped away and disappeared. <laughs> no, she saw it come from the ground, like, then yeah, leap away. Yeah, I thought that Mrs Brittlebank was like Mrs Popoff from Rent-A-Ghost, but anyway. Although the cottage was exercised on more than one occasion, things were going from bad to worse. 
Mr Wood decided that he could live in his home no longer and both he and his cousin moved out of the village to live in Leek. Where's his cousin come from? I don't know. Oh, he's Mrs Brittlebanks' cousin. Oh, Mrs Brittlebanks' cousin. Yeah. Okay. That's the end of the story. That's it. Yeah. Leek. The only thing I know about Leek is that it's a line from a Half Man Half Biscuit song. Mm. He's got a song called The Light at the End of the Tunnel. Mm. Right. And it's about him being with a girl who he thinks the relationship's fine, but she is a bit of a party fiend. Right. And he's not. He likes, you know, just chilling out and going for walks and stuff. And the line in it says, and they live in Leek in this in the song. Right. And the line goes, but the beacon leak is weak, so she's moved on, so to speak, with featureless TV producer Steve. And now it's all Eva Cassidy and some, I think it's Cakewalks in Brittany. And so I can only ascertain that the light at the end of the tunnel is the light of an oncoming train. <laughs> He's a fucking genius, honest to God. Half Man, Half Biscuits is the, the Nigel, the main writer, is um, the greatest, one of the greatest lyricists of recent decades. Just to say as well, in case anyone did pay attention to me saying that, Google Lark Descending. Um, it, it, it's a song about somebody who, who failed at their dreams of becoming a musician. And it's heartbreaking and it's harrowing and it hits a nerve. But it's also funny because that's what he does. Like the end of the... the there's a guy, there's a band called Dinosaur Junior, who you'll have heard of, who are like... The, he's got a very well-respected so, songwriter within Dinosaur Junior called Lou Barlow. And the end repose of Lark Descending by Half Man Half Biscuit is him repeating the line, I should have been like Lou Barlow, but I'm more like Ken Barlow. <laughs> and, it, and if you don't know, Ken Barlow's a very straight-laced like man in Coronation Street. Which like, is a British soap opera. Yeah, he's just got like an office job and stuff. Anyway, thank you for that, Becca. You're welcome. What is your um, makings of that tale? Um, poor Mr. Wood being chased out of his a, own home. Yeah, he had a tough one. I mean, this the, I like things like that. You know, I've always I often say this: the length of a story, like the, it, something that short, to have that much information that isn't dwelled on. You know, it's not like um, Mrs. Brittlebank was doing blah, 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 and suddenly, fiercely, the cardigan was ripped from her shoulders. Aghast, she ran from room to room. It's just, once, she even had a cardigan pulled off her shoulders. Yeah, it's quite like boom, boom, boom. With yeah, the boxes, it, it, you yeah. Know, for me, that, that it's kind of the salience of it mm. um, gives it an authenticity. Okay. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it doesn't say why he was in the hospital. No, it doesn't, actually. Mm-hmm. Um... But also, I wonder, etymology-wise, you know the way they say, like, Thatcher, like, Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. May she burn in hell. Um, Kevin. What? It's not nice. As if... Uh, uh, Margaret... Th- I, I do not give a fuck if it's not, not nice. It's just not... Cooth. I don't care. It's, she's akin to Hitler. Anyway. Um, I'm stop you there. Anyway. Obviously not. Anyway. Um... But Thatcher, you know, people got the names from what they'd done for a living in the olden days, didn't they? Yeah. If your name was Thatcher, it's probably because someone in her past thatched roofs. 
Yeah. Or was it Ruth Thatcher? Yeah. Go on, what are you People might say? be like, like West is like from the West. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's like, um, you know, Tony Plummer, for example. Yeah. Guess what he done? Mr. Baker. Mr. Baker, mm-hmm. exactly. What did the Eustaces do? Were they widely renowned for being useless? No. No. We all, I think, well, you know the, the history, don't you, of the Eustace? St. Eustace was uh, hunting a stag, mm. and uh, he wasn't called Eustace at the time. He was, he was a Roman soldier, mm. and, um, and they were fighting the Christians, and the Catholics, sorry, they were, fighting the, they were opposed to Catholicism, and he was hunting in the wood. Who was opposed to Catholicism? The Romans. Right. And they were fighting... Um, sorry, he was hunting... Uh, he was like a commander in the army. And he was hunting a deer. And then out of nowhere, this white stag appeared with a burning crucifix in the centre of its head in between the antlers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said, why do you persecute me? And then he left the wood, converted to Catholicism. And even his army boss, because he was so respected, was like, was like, um, okay, we'll let you off. You know, don't worry about it because we still need you in the army. We'll allow you to be a Catholic. Freedom of religion and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, because you're so good in the army. But then that fell sour. And what they ended up doing was, because he is a martyr, because what they ended up doing was saying, no, you know, you are good at the army. At the army. <laughs> you are good at the army, but you need to decide. It's either you're either one of us or one of them, and he went, I'm one of them. And they went, Fine. We're gonna put you and all your family inside this big massive bronze bull and we're gonna light a fire under it. Yeah. And that's what they've done in St. Eustace's Square in Rome. Yeah. Um and there you go. And that's why the Eustace family crest is the Jägermeister crest, which is a stag with a crucifix on its head. Mm. There you go. Interesting fact. And it's also the patron saint of hunters. Right. There you go. Well, he didn't hunt the stag, did he? Um, no, but he was hunting the deer. I'm sure he's the patron saint of hunters. But we do laugh at that motto, why do you... Because our, our family motto genuinely is, why do you persecute me? Which is hilarious. And it, it's so apt. <laughs> yeah. It really why is. Why me? Like, like honestly... I recall thinking at first when I remember, I literally remember my dad. I didn't feel for him at the time. It wasn't long after my mum died and he was trying to just, you know, survive and get his head together. And he was working God knows how many hours because the insurance didn't pay out for this, that and the other. And there was a leak in the house. We had a really heavy rainstorm and there was a dripping onto like the windowsill in the living room. Mm. That must have been coming from obviously. I'm just going to open that door for the kitchen. Okay. But it must have been obviously coming from the roof. Then through the floor, Becca's just opening the door for the cat because she was clawing it. And as usual, the, once opened, the cat just stares at it. Well, she she wants the option. Bit. Yeah, she just wants the option. It's um, it's not even a door to get into the room that we're in or anything. It's the door for under the stairs. Yeah. But still, if that's what she wants, that's what she gets. That's what she gets, so. yeah. Well, anyway, so he pays some guy. This, and this is why I felt really tight on him because he didn't have much money. You know, he didn't know where his finances were going. Still trying to work things out after the death of his wife. Three kids to support. So he paid some fella in the pub to do it on the sly. To put like leaden on the roof. You know, to fix it. Mm. Now the guy that he done it, that he agreed it with was a little bit 
gangstery. Right. Let's just say that. So the guy comes round and he does it and my dad pays him. Three weeks later, there's another rainstorm and there's dripping on this, the living room windowsill again. So my dad, and I understand now as a grown man why, my dad's had his head in his hands and he, he literally was saying, why is it always us? But what he must have been thinking was, how am I going to confront this gangster and say, you need to come back and fix yeah. this sort of job? Mm. I mean, in fairness, he did, and the fella did. Did he? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Fair enough, then. Well, he didn't confront him. He well, just, then wasn't that an overreaction? No, you know, it's not like he, he went to the pub and said, listen, whatever you've done, it was rained again, it's leaked, and, and the guy was apologetic, come round and fixed it. Yeah, but that's also you through and through it, like, oh, no, why, this is an absolute disaster, what am I going to do, why am I going to confront this guy? And it turns out he goes to him, he's like, oh, mate, it's still leaking. He's like, oh, sorry, lad, I'll be around tomorrow, and fixes it, and everything's yeah, yeah. fine. Like, complete overreaction. Exactly, yeah. But but when, when I remember when my dad put his head in the sand, I went, why is it always us? I already knew this quote, because I looked into the family motto, mm. and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I wonder <laughs> if there is, like, a, you know, is the... <laughs> Are people's family mottos actually tied into their personalities? <laughs> I'd, I'd be interested to find out what yours is. I know what this isn't paranormal, but it's kind mm. of interesting. Mm. You know, I reckon yours would be. It's a pain to always be right, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it must be something like that. Um, where's that book that, about yeah. the paranormal, so that this can at least have two ghost stories in it and be slightly paranormal? Um, do you want one about Jane Seymour? You look, it looks a bit long. No, we won't have that one. It is a bit long. Okay. Um, do you want me to hold that while you If you hold the, the microphone, I am struggling to do both. Let me see. Oh, no, that's far too long. What about that Nottingham one? Well, that's the one that's far too long. Yeah, no, we can have... Another one before that? I think that just says Nottingham is a place. Anyway, we'll have this one. For sale, second-hand car. Okay? Okay. So this one is called For Sale, Second-Hand Car. From a librarian in Edwinstow comes the story of a haunted car. Interesting. A young couple were looking to buy themselves a family car. The husband worked at a nearby pit and his wife had a part-time job in the village. I love the way... That's a thing. Just in he the worked, village. He worked in a pit. Yeah, I know. So, you know um, well, I was like, what do you mean in the village? Like, what exactly did she do in the village? And I like the fact that that's the part you focused on, not the fact he worked in a nearby pit. I mean, it means coal pit, doesn't it, really? I'd imagine. They wanted something affordable and practical, a good clean motor. With these requirements in mind, they towed the local car dealer forecourts. On a Saturday morning in November, they found a vehicle to meet all of their needs. A hatchback in excellent condition at a very good price. The husband, though, was a little suspicious. The paint was too new. He suspected a a re-spray. The mileage was also very low for a car of this reg. He spoke to the dealer who informed him that it was entirely genuine. The car had only just arrived and was priced for a quick sale. After a test drive, the couple decided to buy it. Terms were agreed and the dealer promised to forward the logbook as soon as he received it. All went well, the car proved to be an excellent runner. The husband's change of shifts meant he had the car mostly, but when convenient, his wife would drop him off at the pit and have the car to herself. On a dank morning before seven, the tired miner drove home. 
He'd done some overtime and was looking forward to a hot bath and a long sleep. Up ahead, a milk float stopped on the side of the road. Checking in the rearview mirror before pulling out, he saw something large lurch from one side of the car's back seat to the other. Startled, turn page, he turned his head to see, illuminated by the yellow neon glow of the streetlights, a horribly disfigured corpse whose dead eyes looked straight at him. He slammed on the brakes, narrowly missing the milk float. Transfixed, he stared at the hideously injured body. In terror, he leapt from the car and ran up up the road to the milk float. It was some minutes before he could make the startled milkman understand that there was a body on the backseat of his car. Cautiously, they walked back to the abandoned vehicle. Together, they gingerly peered through the rear window and there was nothing there. They searched the area and nothing. Sympathetically, the milkman suggested that perhaps the miner had been working too hard and had experienced a hallucination. Calmer now, the miner agreed and continued on his way, deciding to say nothing to his wife, in case she might worry. God bless you ladies and your (laughs) mild-mannered... Sensitive constitutions. Yes. On the day shift once more, it was his wife's turn to have the car. After a busy morning at work and the week shopping to do... She called in at a petrol station to fill up. Whilst paying at the counter, her attention was suddenly drawn to the car. Someone's stealing my car, she cried and dashed across the forecourt. Grabbing open the door, she froze in terror as a body, terribly mutilated, fell out onto the tarmac. Screaming, she ran back to the garage shop. The equally terrified assistant calmed her down and rang the police. Both were too disturbed to approach the car themselves and waited for the police to arrive. To their relief, they were quick to respond. However, the officers found no trace of a body, no blood, no signs of violence, nothing. The policeman, understandably, insisted on a breath test. This proved negative, and after the careful reassurance of the officers, the lady went home. On recollecting her, her sorry, on collecting her husband from work. She was surprised by his grave and silent attention to her story. We know why that is, don't we? Because he went, it's the same thing. I didn't want to tell you this, he said, but I saw the same thing, but thought I imagined it. Later that same evening, a policeman visited the couple. He informed them that the car had been run through the police computer and it had been in a fatal accident. It hadn't been written off as only the rear of the car was damaged in a freak accident with a lorry that left a passenger dead. The next morning, an envelope arrived in the post. Turn page. It was the logbook showing the car had had six previous owners in two years. Immediately, they decided to get rid of it too. That same morning, the husband returned the car to the dealership, and he was offered £200 less than he'd paid. But he accepted without hesitation and the dealer asked no questions. Perhaps the car is now waiting for someone on a forecourt. Full sail, excellent condition, haunted. A modern myth or a cautionary tale? Either way, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Why would it be a cautionary tale? It's not like it was a complete bargain, like bargain... Bucket thing. They literally said it was a good price and good condition. Yeah, and what does caveat emptor mean? It's Latin, clearly, but for what? Is it what they kind of say? 
Does it mean like as in the, the terms same and conditions? I don't know. Is it something to do with like within the ter- like the caveat of something is buyer beware? I don't know. Like a, a kind of thing for terms and conditions. I'm going to pause and Google. Okay, caveat emptor. The principle that the buyer alone is responsible for checking the quality and suitability of goods before a purchase is made. Caveat emptor still applies when you're buying your house, for example. Okay. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that story. Interesting that the body actually fell out onto the forecourt. Yeah, and oh, they both witnessed saw. it as well, allegedly. Because the, the forecourt Did it confirm that, that they both witnessed no, it? No, it thought... implied it. Yeah, because the forecourt assistant, it said that the forecourt assistant was also scared, but that might just be because this woman's screaming. Yeah. You know, what also made me realise as well, and it's down to modern cars and the fact it would be harder to do with modern cars. Mm. And it's also a very good thing. But do you remember, you might not remember this because there's a decade between us, but going back again to the 90s, there was a high rate, you were often told to keep an eye out for, I think they were known as Ringer cars, and it was basically two halves of a car that had been welded together. So let's say what? let's say there was two Ford Cortinas in an accident. Right. One had been smashed up at the front and was a write-off, mm. and one had been smashed up at the back and was a write-off. You would get some unscrupulous people who would buy both for like a tenner each because they're written off, mm. cut them in half, weld the, the two pieces that weren't damaged together, mm. file down all the serial numbers, and sell it as a car for like two grand. I don't see what could possibly go wrong there. Exactly, yeah, but it was a well-known trick, but you couldn't do it with a modern car. You know what I mean? You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think so, but, you know, anyway. So there you go. Anyway, Did they do it with the left side and the right side as well? I highly doubt. I mean, also... Well, why is that? Hilarious. Why? I don't know, I don't know, yeah. I just think it'd be harder to... to cause you'd, you know, because you'd have to sew the seats together, wouldn't you? It'd be yeah, much but that's not going to be the hardest part of it, is it? It would be. Sewing the seat, if you're welding a car together, sewing the seats isn't going to be the thing that puts you off, is it? No, but it's easier to, to, you know, imagine like being in the back of a car where your feet are, and that's where you cut where the feet are, so you're basically just putting too hot, you're welding around the outside of a car, as opposed to right through the fucking middle, sewing the seats well, up. Alright, well maybe you'd just weld around the outside anyway, but you'd keep like one set of the seats. To go point back. Well, hopefully we never have to get into the illegal <laughs> car trade and we'll never find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, thank you for joining me on the Paranormal Patreon. You're welcome. And um, we'll speak to you tomorrow for a Reddit corner. You shall. Okay. Tatty bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>